0: Shall we begin?
1: Let's begin now. All right, everybody. Welcome back to a brand new episode of the Frankly Francisco podcast. I apologize to my audience. I have been out for quite a while. Uh, I contracted COVID 19. Um, It wasn't as bad as the first time a year ago, but it was still pretty bad. But I'm bouncing back. I'm very happy to have my guest on the show. He's my first guest coming back from having COVID. I'd like to introduce everybody to Mr. Terry Tucker. How are we doing today, sir?
0: I am great, Francisco. Thanks for having me on.
1: No problem. So for my audience that doesn't know you, please give the audience a little bit of background about what you what what you do and who you are.
0: Sure. So uh, I'll try to give you the... Con- condensed version because I'm old. So I have a lot of things (laughs) that I've done in my life. But I am uh, I was born and raised on the south side of Chicago. I am the oldest of three boys. You can't tell this from looking at me or my voice, but I am six foot eight inches tall. And I played college basketball at the Citadel in Charleston, South Carolina, despite having three knee surgeries in high school. When I graduated from the Citadel, I moved home to find a job. And I'm really going to date myself now, but this was long before the internet was available to help people find employment. And I was all set to make my mark on the world with my newly obtained business administration degree. And I look back now and realize I didn't know anything about business just because (laughs) I had a degree. Fortunately, I found that first job in the corporate headquarters of Wendy's International, the hamburger chain. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, I ended up living with my parents for three and a half years as I helped my mom care for my father and my grandmother who were both dying of different forms of cancer. In terms of my professional career, as I mentioned, uh, worked at Wendy's initially. Then I became a hospital administrator. And then I made a major pivot in my life and became a police officer. And I worked undercover narcotics. I was a SWAT team hostage negotiator. I started my own school security consulting business, coached girls high school basketball when we lived in Texas. 2019 started a motivational speaking business, which was probably not the best decision I ever made in my life <laughs> given COVID. Uh 2020 became an author, but for the last 10 years, I've been battling this rare form of cancer. And then finally, my wife and I have been married for 28 years. We have one child, a daughter, who's a graduate of the United States Air Force Academy and is an officer in the new branch of the military, the Space
1: Force. Nice. Nice. So you and I have some relatable uh things. <laughs> I actually Before I got into finance, um, I actually, my background's in security, private security. I did it for 12 years. And I was also an auxiliary police officer for Cleveland, Ohio, um, as well. So that's in my background. So you and I have some things in common there. So Um, you
0: were Cleveland. I was Cincinnati.
1: Yeah. 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 So we were there. Yeah. It was, it was, uh, people don't understand how Cleveland is. You have to be from, you have to live in Ohio to understand Ohio. Um, and doing security in Ohio was not an easy thing. Uh, but as so, you were an, an author. You published your first book. So, give me a little bit of background about the book, um, and you know, let me know uh, what is the premise of the book for the people.
0: So, the book is called Sustainable Excellence: The Ten Principles to Leading Your Uncommon and Extraordinary Life. And the book was really born out of two conversations I had. One was with a former player that I had coached who had moved to Colorado where my wife and I live and we had had dinner with her and her fiance. And I remember saying to her one night, you know, I'm really excited that you're living close and I can watch you find and live your purpose. She got real quiet for a while. She looked at me and she said, well, coach, what do you think my purpose is? So I have no idea what your purpose is, but that's what your life should be about finding the reason you were put on the face of this earth and then living that reason. So that was one conversation. And then I had a young man, uh, in college who reached out to me on social media, and he, he asked me what I thought were the most important things that he should learn to not just be successful in his job or in business, but to be successful in life overall. And I didn't want to give him the, you know, get up early, work hard, help others kind of stuff, because I, I felt that had been done. I wanted to see if I could go deeper with him. So I thought about it for a while, started taking notes, and eventually I had these 10 ideas, these 10 thoughts, these 10 principles. And so I sent them to them. And then I kind of stepped back and I was like, well, you know, I've got a life story that fits underneath this principle, or I know somebody whose life emulates that principle. So in 2020, uh, in April, I had my left leg amputated because of my cancer. And in June of 2020, I started chemotherapy. So during that roughly three month period that I was healing, I sat down at the computer every day and I built stories underneath each of the principles. I'd sent that young man and that's how sustainable excellence came to be.
1: So I respect it a lot though, because you, you actually found your purpose with everything that's been going on with you with the cancer, with the amputation of the leg, you found your purpose and you were able to translate that into a book to try to help others who might need some guidance. So how has the book affected? Have you had responses from, from folks about the books has it somebody, you know, cause it only takes one person for you to change their life for you to, you know, to, cause sometimes it doesn't, you don't have to change a thousand lives. It's just one person's life you can change and it's all worth it. So has anybody come to you and told you this book has been transformational for them? That's helped them cope. That's helped them figure out what they are and who they want to be.
0: Yeah. And that's, that's a great question because you know, there, i never never had a book published before. I didn't know anything about the publishing industry. My, my publishers telling me, you know, there are 800 books published in the United States every day. So, you know, how do you get yours, you know, through, and how do you even know if you've got a book that's worth, you know, that's worth people reading? I mean, there people write books about walking their dog. You know, it's like, really, is <laughs> is that something you yeah. you want to do? You want to read about? But it, the, the funny thing is, is that I had an 87 year old man who bought the book, read the book, and then reached out to me, had no idea who this guy was. And he said, you know, if I would have had those 10 principles when I was younger, I would have had a much better life. So, I mean, for me, it was like, I, I think the book is geared more toward younger people, whether, you know, maybe 16 to your early 30s, you know, at a time in your life when you're trying to figure out, you know, what are you supposed to be doing? How do you get there? How does that look? What am I supposed to, you know, how am I supposed to do that? That's, I think, what the book is about. And so for an 87-year-old man who'd already lived his life to reach out and say, yeah, you know what? This book this book is definitely going to have an impact. So yes, I mean, that was just one example. And that was kind of the one that really kind of lit my fire up. Well, yeah, maybe I got something here.
1: Well, listen, inspiration comes in many different forms. And it doesn't matter if they're 86, it doesn't matter if they're 15, you're aspiring people. And I, I think that's what uh, makes what you do a great thing, you know what I mean? Because not everybody can stay focused long enough to do that. Like I write, I do, but I, I can't finish. Like I have books that I started. To be honest with you, Terry, I have books that I started that's got four or five chapters in them, mm-hmm. and then I just stop. My fo- I lose my focus on on the story, and I just don't I don't finish it. But you sat there and you actually found the focus that you needed to actually finish the book and print it. And not a lot of people can do that. Um, and I think it's a good thing. So, what advice would you give? To the younger generation that is looking for that, let's say you have somebody that wants to write something inspirational, that somebody wants to put something on paper, but they can't focus on that.
0: I'd say listen listen to your heart. And, and people have asked me, you know, how did you write this book? And, and you know, I, I, I don't have any great formula, but I'll tell you what I did do. I, and, I, and I made myself do this. I, I, I had two rules and that was it. The first rule was Monday through Saturday, I would write at least a minimum of one page every day. Now some days I wrote 20 pages, but I would write a minimum of one page every day, was the first rule. And the second rule was I wouldn't, I wouldn't edit anything until I had the initial draft. And so there were days I sat down at the computer, Francisco, and honestly, I wrote junk. I I, I mean, I'm writing and I'm like, this is terrible. This there's no way this is ever going to see the inside, you know, of a book. But then the next day I wrote something good, you know, and so you, you know, it, you kind of you put it all together. And then after you have that draft, you go back and you're like, OK, that, that's out. That's out. That's out. No, this is good. This is staying. No, that's out. This is good. And eventually you get something that you're proud of. And so you kind of have to, you know, it's sort of the, you know, the old Bible verse about, you know, getting rid of the chaff and the wheat at the same time. You don't want to do that. You want to get rid of the chaff, but you want to keep the wheat. You want to keep the good stuff. But you have to you have to grow them all together. So you have to grow the ugly and the, and the crap and, and then just say I'm gonna get rid of that and what I'm going to be left with is something I'm really proud of.
1: So how many drafts did this actually take for you to get to where you needed to be? How many drafts did it take? How much editing time did it take? Did you do it yourself or did you have a company step in and edit the book for you?
0: I, I had a publisher I had a publishing company uh, Five Stones Press that actually did that. So I had three different editors. And so I, you know, I wrote the book and I'm like, okay, here it is. And then the editors went to work on it. And, you know, I I mean, obviously I've never had a baby in my life, but this was as close as as I've ever come to creating something and and having, you know, here I've got this book. And so the editors would be like, okay, you know, you need to expand on this or this, you should take this out or, you know, this doesn't flow and and things like that. And there were times where I, I would be like, you know, how dare you, this is my book. But then I was like, wait a minute, you know, they're the experts. This is what they do for a living. So I would like, okay, if I felt that way, I would always say, you know what, I'm going to sleep on it, sleep on it and see how I feel in the morning. And I would say about 99 percent of the time I did what they told me to do, you know, either take this out or expand on this, add more and things like that. So there were I I don't know, there were probably four or five different renditions of it, different Mm -hmm. additions that you know, I, I, I do it and then send it back to them. And, you know, then then another editor would take a look at it. And, you know, no, this doesn't sound right, it doesn't flow. So it, it was great having people that knew what they were doing. I mean, th- this is their job, they're editors. and And it certainly helped me to be able to kind of focus the book and make it even that much better than what I thought it was.
1: So how was that feeling when you got that first book clean off the press, they send it to you, you're looking at it, and you're, just sitting there going, wow, I did this. Like, what was that feeling? Because you you, I love your energy, man. You're like you you have this energy about you. You don't you don't allow yourself to say what was me with the things that are happening around you. You just embrace life and you go. So how exciting was that to see that book come to fruition after you put in all that hard work? It, it was it was amazing. As a matter of
0: fact, my. My publisher told me, you know, I was like, okay, I'm going to send you. So the the book is in ebook form. It's in hardcover and paperback. He said, I'm going to send you the hardcover and the paper book and it'll, it'll arrive on Saturday. And so, I mean, I, I was waiting all day long and then, you know, the doorbell rings and here's the UPS guy and he puts it there and my daughter grabbed it first and, and, she, and she started to open the box. I'm like, no, 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 no. We got to have an unboxing video. I'm like, yeah. when I first heard this, I'm like what, just open the box. No, you got to have an unboxing video with it. So literally I sat here at my desk and my wife was, you know, filming and the three of us, you know, opened the box at the same time and saw son- and I'll be honest, I mean, I almost cried. I mean, it was just that emotional to think that this came out of my head and, and got on paper, and somebody's gonna read it and hopefully it's gonna make a difference in their life. It was it was amazing. I mean, I still have the first two copies right here. It's like nobody can touch them, to leave them alone. But they're, they're right here by me. So, so okay. it was great.
1: That's a that's a beautiful thing because you're it's all you that was your therapy. That was your therapy. Yeah. You were able to put how you felt heart and soul on those pages. Now you had to take some of those things out uh for the you know the editing purposes but you were able to pour everything out that you needed to pour out. And I think a lot of people don't have the strength to do that. I think a lot of people they fall back into this what was me, life is bad but you don't know what somebody's story is. You know what I mean? No. You might have it somebody you might have it worse than somebody else. Somebody may not have it as worse as you. Right. You know, and I think sometimes I, my saying is you wake up every waking up every day is a good day, no matter what, because some people don't have the opportunity to get up in the morning and we got to make and we have to make the best of it. And your energy just you just seem like you grab life and you just don't care. You don't you don't you don't wallow in that situation. And I think that's beautiful, man. I really do. I, I love I love how you embrace it. Are you working on anything else right now? Are you is there something in the back of your mind now that you're putting on paper?
0: Not that I'm putting on paper yet, but I, I guess the way the way I want to describe this is, you know, Sustainable Excellence was a book about success, mm-hmm. how you can be successful in life. I'd like to write another book that also is about a word that begins with S, but but that word is significance, because okay. I think significance is what we do for other people. You know, success is what we do for ourselves. Significance is what we do for others. Now, I think you can be both. I think you can be successful and significant, but I'm, I'm compiling, I guess, is, is the best way to, to describe it. Now, I'm trying to compile stories and, and read things that I could put into a book about significance. How did people make a difference in other people's lives? And, you know, I, I mentioned I have cancer. And, you know, I, I yes, I have a lot of energy and I don't let cancer stop me. But I have bad days. I mean, there's no S on my chest. I'm not wearing a cape, yeah. as, as you can see. But when I get into those dark times, I get into those ugly places you know, that's all centered inward. You know, it's like, oh, woe is me, as you said, you know, you wallow in it. But I found the best way to get out of that is to go help somebody else, go make a difference in somebody else's life, because now your focus is on someone else. And when you do that, your 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 mood, your energy, everything just gets better when you stop thinking, oh, woe is me and start saying, hey, how can I help this person over here?
1: So for with your book, though, what what are the, what's the biggest takeaway from your book that you, uh, uh, out of everything you've written in there, what do you think is the, the the biggest takeaway, the insert that people need to read that pretty much sums up everything that you tried to explain to them in the book?
0: I, I guess, you know, it, it. I don't know if I can answer that because each chapter in the book is a different principle. Mm-hmm. and And what I find is, is that when people read the book, there's one one principle, one chapter that really hits home for them. You know, it's like, and and, and, they're, and the principles are not in any order. You know, number one is not oh, any more okay. important than number seven or anything like that. But there's always one. So it's like, this one is for me or that one is for And I wrote the book. And, and so, I mean, I know the, the 10 that are in there, but there's one that resonates with me as well. And and I'll give you the chapter title. It's most people think with their fears and their insecurities instead of using their minds. I know I've done that. I know I've done that probably a bunch of times.
1: I've done that too. My,
0: yeah, we all have, you know, and, and and it's about how you stop doing that, you know, how you get in there and start, you know, we're all going to experience pain in our lives. And, and it doesn't have to be cancer pain or any, you know, a chronic illness, or it doesn't even have to be any illness related. You could flunk a test at school or break up with your boyfriend or your girlfriend or, you know, not get the promotion at work that you think you deserve. Pain is inevitable. Suffering on the other hand, suffering's optional. Suffering's what you do with that pain. Do you use the pain to make you a stronger and more determined individual? Or as you said, do you wallow in it and want people to feel sorry for you and feel sorry for yourself? As I said, I think the best way when we get into those places is to start looking outside, is to start finding people that we can make a difference in their lives. And if you do that, then your life doesn't look as bad.
1: But I think some people tend to wallow to get attention. I think some people tend to use that, use that suffering and use that, that pain to make people feel bad for them so they can get the attention that they're looking for. And I think that's a kind of a toxic behavior, but I'm glad with the book, uh, with the 10 principles you're giving, it's not a one size fit all you have. There's options for people to say, listen, this principle fits me the best. This principle fits me the best. Um, and I think that's something that can resonate with a with a bunch of people, people just have to be willing to open the pages and read. You know, I think we're in a generation now where where everybody wants everything now. It's you know it's a right. microwave generation. People don't want to work for what they had, but I think this book can resonate with a large a large group of people and it can help them because some people don't realize you know you, you when you bring that suffering and that pain inwards, it'll eat you alive. Yeah, it will eat you alive, and people can stay depressed for years on end and just don't know how to get out of it or don't want to get the help to get out of it.
0: Right. It's, it's just a self-fulfilling prophecy. And, and I mean, and you, and you know this, and if you think about, it, I mean, our life is based on the choices that we make and the outcomes of those choices. I mean, you know, I, I've always said this, you know, we're all unique, but I got news for you. None of us are special you know, and and so, you know, I I love saying that. And so, you know, people that, you know, that are toxic, and I always say this, you know, Francisco, if I didn't know you, but I knew the five people that you hung around with the most, Mm -hmm. I could probably tell you a lot about yourself. So if you've got people in your life that are toxic, that are that don't have your best interest in mind, you know, that aren't uplifting you that don't care and love you, Get those people out of your life and surround yourself with people that do care about you, that do uplift you, and that love you enough to tell you the truth, even if that truth is, is a sacrifice with your relationship. You know, but what do we do? You know, people are like, hey, Terry, you know, you're, you're kind of messing up here. What do we say? Well, you're not my friend anymore. Oh, trust me. Those people are your friends. Those are the people that love you and care about you enough that they're willing to tell you the truth, even though you may they may sacrifice the relationship that they have
1: with you. Well, funny you say that because I had to cut off uh, family members. I had to cut off family members. I had to cut off friends because we moved from Cleveland to I'm in South Carolina now. So and we learned who our friends were, and who our friends weren't when we moved. And it's amazing how fast people forget out of sight, out of mind, how fast people forget you. And, you know, they they don't know how to reach out. But I've always been a family guy. I've always been the guy who always tries to keep my family close. And at, at one point I stopped reaching out because I, I was letting my guilt get the better of me. Like, you know what I mean? Cause you feel like you're obligated. And I think that was my biggest issue uh, with my family and my friends is cause I felt obligated. Like I had to reach out to them. Like it goes both ways. You guys can reach out to me as well. Like I shouldn't have to be reaching out to you every month to see how things are going. You can do the same thing. So I learned a lot. So I understand exactly what you're talking about, about uh, cutting, uh, you know, certain behaviors and certain people off. You know what I mean? So it, it's to each their own, I guess, but it's different for everybody. Some people just it don't is. know when to cut the cord. Right. They don't want to
0: cut the cord because it's safe. And you know, and, and that's the thing. And, and our brains are hardwired to avoid pain and discomfort and to seek pleasure. So to the brain, you know, the status quo, the way things are right now is good. Don't mess with it. Even if it's toxic, even if it's bad for you, it's still known. And I, I don't want to mess with it. But and you know this, the only way you're going to grow, the only way you're going to get better is if you step outside those comfort zones. Mm -hmm. And and I try to do this myself every single day. and, And I recommend it to everybody. Do one thing every day. It doesn't have to be a big thing. Do one thing that scares you, that makes you nervous, that makes you uncomfortable, that is potentially embarrassing. Do that one thing every day. And if you do that, when the big things in life hit and they hit for all of us, you lose somebody close to you, you're living out of your car, you've lost your job, whatever it is, you'll be so much more resilient to be able to handle those things than those people that are like, oh, nope, nope. Gotta stay. It's, it's comfortable. It's toxic, but it's comfortable. Get Get toxic out of your life.
1: Yeah. Funny thing you said that about living out of your car. Actually, when we moved down to South Carolina, I actually had to leave first. And I was living out of my vehicle for three months it, because I had to pay my mortgage, the rent back in Ohio for my wife and my kids. And I would drive from South Carolina to Ohio every weekend, literally every weekend oh, until geez. we moved. So I was living out of my and I have sleep apnea. So I have a mask and I couldn't sleep with my mask in the in the vehicle. So I made sacrifices to get where I am now. So, I, you know, you can't listen to, to people sometimes because people will try to captain your sh- a ship just to sink it. You know what I mean? They, yeah. they just, <laughs> you're right. <laughs> you know what I mean? They just don't want to, they just don't want to see you succeed, but you have to break those barriers and move forward. Yeah. Now, I just got to ask you this question Go for with, it. With all the experience you have in um, policing, do you ever think you're going to write a book about your experiences with that? No. No.
0: No.
1: No. <laughs> because I I can, I mean, you got to have stories. There's got to be stories out there from everything. I I mean, we do, we
0: do, we do, but you know, but it's the same kind of thing and and I'm not going to compare this to people in combat. I mean, it it certainly isn't, but the things you see as a police officer are things that you shouldn't see. They're things you don't want to see. And you know, I, I I just assume those die with me. I I mean, I met great people. I, I worked hard to help people and I did. And But I also saw things, I I mean, I I still remember almost killing a 14-year-old kid who, you know, end of the shift, you know, it was a domestic violence call. It really wasn't a DV. It was a mom hitting her kid on the butt with a cloth slipper. Yeah. And the kid ran away. And then he came home. And we're talking to mom and dad about, you know, how things are going. And all of a sudden, he's standing on the porch with an AK-47. And we're in the middle of the front yard. I'm like, I got nowhere to go. Yeah. I'm going to kill the, I'm going to kill a 14 year old kid right here. I still remember that. I, yeah. you know, and he was a good kid. Fortunately, he dropped the gun, but he was a good kid. He was a good student. He was a football player, you know, and it's like, I would have ended a kid's life, Yeah. you know, and, and those are the kind of things that, you know, I didn't, I didn't shoot him. I didn't kill him. That's so it's not going to make the news. You know, yeah. it's people don't know it's like go home and go about your business.
1: But I think some of that trauma, you're right. I think some of that trauma needs to be left unsaid. You know what I mean? I think some of that stuff it's it's good not to put out there. Um but I was just thinking cuz with all the the all the uh you know all the years that you work it, you know, some people tend to put out books about their experience doing it cuz you know people don't realize uh in that line of business you can get PTSD uh oh, yeah. in, in that job. People don't realize that firefighters firefighters see things that are not <laughs> that nobody should right. see either in certain right. situations. So, but I re- I really do respect it though. Uh cuz you put that time and the effort in. But like I said, you shifted and you focused to to your book now. Um, what you so? Let my audience know where they can find your book at. So,
0: sustainable excellence is pretty much available anywhere you can get a book online. You can get it at Amazon, get it BarnesandNoble.com, you can get it through Apple iBooks. Anywhere you can find a book online, you can find sustainable excellence.
1: Okay, all right, beautiful. Is there uh, so are you, you right now? Are you holding like any seminars for the book? Are you doing book readings? Are you like online stuff that you're doing for people? Are you coaching anybody? Is it? Do you have things like that in the works as well?
0: I I, I don't yet. Actually, I I just signed a contract to work with a a, a company out of Texas that uh, I'm going to put together a, a membership program around the book, and and there's going to be more content and 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 deeper stuff like that. I've really kind of resisted doing that because I I didn't I didn't write the book. I I don't do this. To make money, to get famous, you know, to do, I, I do it to try to help people, but enough people were like, you know, you really should do this. You really, you know, not to monetize it, to make money, but to get more content out there, to get more people, you know, access, I guess, to the book and what you were thinking and why you put this story in versus another one and things like that. So that's really all I'm doing. I am clinical. I'm in a clinical trial, for the tumors in my lungs right now. So I'm still being treated for cancer every third week. So I, I don't have a ton of time, but the time I have, I want to use to help people. I want to use to make a difference.
1: So you, you're doing chemo every, every couple of weeks, every third week, every yeah, third for week, a whole
0: week. I, I go, it's, it's actually a clinical trial mm. uh, of a drug that, and that I didn't notice about cancer. Cancer, basically the reason it proliferates in your body is it secretes a hormone that hides it from the immune system. And what this clinical trial drug does is unmask the cancer so that your immune system can attack it. Now, it's probably not going to save my life, but the way I look at it is it may save the life of somebody else, you know, five years from now, 10 years from now, based on all the data that the doctors are getting from my blood tests and my scans and things like that. So I continue to go. It's a, it's a very, it's a very hard process. I, I have the drug and then two hours later I start throwing up and shaking and it, it, it's another ugly part of life.
1: Well, I'm rooting for you, man. I really am. I'm I'm hoping you recover. I hope uh, you can get this thing into remission. I hope they can, because you just, you you have too much knowledge in your head. You have too much passion for life uh, as a father and as a husband. You have too much of that for, for it to be extinguished at an early age. You know what I mean? So like I said, I'm rooting for you. I hope, I wish you nothing but success. I really want to get you back on the show um, at some point because I just love the energy. I love it. I mean, it's it's uh, it's infectious and we need to we need more people like you in the world that don't allow um, misfortunes to affect how they they view the world because you view the world, you know, there's negatives there, but you you view the world as with positive as well because you have stuff to live for. Yeah. You know what I mean? You have stuff to look to look forward to. You get up every day knowing your wife is going to be, knowing your, your daughter's there. I'm the same way. I'm a father of five, my wife and my kids. So I, I know I have stuff to look for. There's dark days for everybody. I have dark sure. days too. I have stressful days. But I know if I get up and I continue, I see my wife, I see my kids, it makes things better. It makes me want to move forward. So thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure. And we will see you guys next time.